Hey, and welcome to On the Battlefield with me, Father Joseph Collins, and my friend, Father Michael Marcantoni, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst life's suffering and upheaval. This is episode four, and it is our intent to talk about discipleship today. Um, last week, we talked about leadership, and I read a quote from St. John Chrysostom, which is applicable to leadership and discipleship because it talks about the true Christian leader being able to see the abilities of others as being a major, major part of his job. And that is then the pastor, the priest, seeing the gifts of the other person and then mentoring or discipling them towards fulfilling their gifts and living them out and acting them out in the Christian church. And, and also, uh, during that last episode on leadership, Father, uh, you, you mentioned a story from your time in the army that if, if you didn't have people from the ranks below you coming up into leadership positions, that you were failing. Would you mind telling us more about that? Yeah, excellent. So when, we're, when you're looking at leadership within the context of the military, what a lot of civilians really don't understand is that military leadership, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't thrive with a scarcity mentality. You really can't practice it with a scarcity mentality. And, what that I, and by that I mean you can't effectively approach military leadership and feel like there's only so much of it to go around. That if I don't, uh, if I don't maintain you know, the, the, the iron grip power hold on my little block, uh, then suddenly there just won't be enough authority to go around. And that's not to say that there aren't bad leaders in the military who do that kind of thing. There are. But everybody knows that the standard is when it works right, leadership creates more leaders. And so one of the primary tasks of the NCO, the sergeant, is to make sure, even, even if he's a new NCO, is to make sure that the people below him are ready for an ever-increasing series of responsibilities. So, I mean, even if you are a brand-new E5 sergeant and you only have uh, just a squad underneath you, it is expected that the lower enlisted underneath you be ready to take on more responsibility as quickly as possible. And it could be more responsibility in any shape. It could be extra duty. It could be giving blocks of instruction. It could be as simple as taking uh, doing, taking more initiative and ownership in things that are around them. But you're expected to increase initiative. Uh, so being able to, in what the civilian world call mentor, and show others how to become leaders themselves is one of the primary tasks. So it's not just being able to hold on to your own power. It's very much sharing it. And the folks who don't do that, uh, they are seen as bad leaders. And it doesn't matter what else they've accomplished. It's their inability to create more leaders, their inability to be a force multiplier, uh, causes them to be placed into the category of ineffective for whatever other decorations they might have. Right on. I heard you say two interesting words, um, instruction and 
mentor. Both of these are really important to, to today's uh, discussion. We have in the church uh, a catechumenate, right? And that word from Greek is katechumenos, uh, and that means one who is being instructed. And then we also have the idea of a disciple, uh, which we get from Latin into English, but the Greek word, is, as we know, is mathites, or uh, to, to learn, a learner, someone who is actively engaged in the process of learning, which the catechumen is also. So the church is telling us with these two words, catechumen and disciple, that the process of learning begins from the moment that you are conceived in the church through your birth and baptism, and it's to never stop happening throughout the entire Christian life. And I heard you saying that that applies to the secular business world and also even to the secular military world. Would I be writing here and you say that? But when we hand that on, rather than discipling, we treat it as trivia. And we've got a lot of people who can think that being an Orthodox Christian is a matter of accumulating trivia and facts. And even the people who don't have a lot of good book learning act this way. So on the one hand, you've got people who just know a lot of facts about the Orthodox Church. They, they, can, you know, they can tell you when the councils were. They can quote some canons. They can tell you uh, when some of the when important events or controversies occurred. Uh, they're, they're trivia monsters, and they, they know that. Um, and then you got other people who maybe they don't know the book learning, but they've got the practical knowledge of when to do all this stuff, right? They, they come from the old world maybe, or they're steeped in the old world. So they know like when to do all this stuff. They don't know what it all means, but they know on this day, we bring this to church and then we do that. And it's supposed to look like this. And then the priest is supposed to do that. And this is the way we treat the church and the way we treat the services. Now that lived in experience on their part and the informational acumen on the other part are both important. However, comma, neither one of which is being a disciple. It's just knowing information. It's just being a student. A disciple combines that book knowledge with the wisdom to put it into action. So the disciple looks and says, how do we action this? What do I do with it? And then it is the disciple that in actioning that goes and becomes a, uh, becomes a force multiplier and teaches others to do likewise. And that's what, we, that's what we get in the gospel. That's what we get in the gospel. The gospel that is read at baptism it is the only gospel ever read at baptism. And Christ says, go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, make this, making disciples of all nations. Go there into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I had that backwards. Well, look at that. He doesn't tell them to go make teachers. He doesn't tell them to go make instructors. He doesn't tell them to go make heads of ministry or innovators. He tells them to make disciples, learners, those who will actively engage, action the information, and then... Get others to do the same, to actively incorporate, engage it, learn it, and take it forward and do something with it. And when we have that mentality, then the ministries, then the good ideas, then the use of technology, all this other stuff suddenly has power and it has meaning because it's rooted in the gospel. But if we don't know and interiorize 
the message of the gospel in that active way. It's just trivia. And trivia doesn't change your life. The purpose of the gospel is to lead to a changed life. And that happens by being a disciple. And we remain disciples by making other disciples. And that is essential. That's the crux of the Orthodox Christian life. I have a question and then a statement. Um, Yeah. First, it it seems like that flies directly into the face of the the consumeristic and and cultural church that, that we see surrounding us. Do you read it the same way? Yeah, I mean, I, I know exactly. I, yeah, I, I do. I know what I think you mean by that. What do you mean by that? I'll give you an example, right? Uh, so we, we have a catechism class, and we were talking about anthropology, and we were talking about the, the purpose of humanity and how, and, and how we are a divine reflection, and yet even in our fallenness, we have a responsibility to the hypostases of humanity. We, in other words, we have a responsibility to each other, in our fallenness, and also to to worship God as our creator. And during that process, uh, there are a number of people in the room, and one says, this is a really high calling. How in the world do we fulfill such a high calling? We, we, so this person heard the words, they are actively engaged in the learning process, and they were applying what they were learning to their life and trying to figure out how that was going to go out into the world with them. And that leads me back to my question, because I saw this disciple looking at discipleship and the Christian life as giving of themselves on behalf of the other, not coming to church to receive something, not coming to church because there's a a specific demographic or you play a certain type of worship music or because you have ministries that appeal to me and what I like to do but rather that I'm coming and learning of Jesus Christ so I can be uh, a canonic, a self-emptying sacrifice to the world as Jesus was for the world. What do you, how do you see it? Yeah, I, so yeah, so I, I, think, I, I think that works really well. And the, the problem is, right, the, the problem, and this is, this is the case with everything that is off the mark, everything that, that sort of falls into that realm of being off the mark and, 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 and which is what sin is. It's, you know, and for the most part, it's in the, in, in the most part, for the most part, it usually takes place with something that is otherwise good that go, that is taken too far or used improperly. And that's something that St. Maximus, the confessor would say that, that, that sin consists in the misuse of things that God created good. So where that applies here is having various types of ministry, having various uh, hitting the points of the gospel from different angles for different groups of people is not inherently bad. But when we compartmentalize ourselves so much that we say that unless my specific interest group and demographic is addressed, I'm not, quote unquote, and I hate this phrase, I'm not, quote unquote, being fed. I'm not getting anything for me. And there's a lot, there's a lot of this for me mentality. And, and, and once we do that, then we really veer off the the teachings of christ so i mean one unfortunate phenomena we see in our parishes is um you know like youth ministries are good right but there's a whole lot of families that when youth ministries are on pause for the summer won't show up to church well why does jesus stop being important during the summer because that's what you're teaching but as well there's nothing for the kids well yo yes there is there's jesus there's the eucharist there's holy communion there's the gospel 
but when we say, well, you belong in this demographic and this is why we're showing up here. And when that activity is not going on, there's no reason for me to show up. Well, if that's our mindset, we have forgotten why we're showing up in the first place. And we're not being disciples of Christ. We're being disciples in that case of that ministry. We're being disciples of, you know, uh, Steve Christopher, right, from the Archdiocese at B2B. He talks about that because he says he saw it in his own life and in the lives of his peers. You know, like Goya is our, is our youth group. You know, it's just a teenage youth group. He said, we're great at making good Goyans, but what happens when Goya is over? You know, um, and I've seen great this. YILs. Yeah. And what happens when we're no longer a young adult? Then what? I don't know. We leave yeah, the church because we don't right. have kids yeah. to put into Goya. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like if if these if these ministries, if these avenues are merely accents by which our specific period of discipleship is maximized, it's a good thing. If we're looking and saying you're a disciple, first and foremost, of Jesus Christ, and he is really up there on the patent. And that's why you're here this Sunday. And you happen to be a teenager. And therefore, we do have something specific for you. That's a good thing because you're going to need. You're going to need training and discipleship that's at your level. See, that would be a good use of that. But if we say because you're a teenager, the only thing that you're, you're capable of accessing and that you really get that's really supposed to connect with you is this. So this other stuff doesn't apply to you. Well, okay. Well, when the one thing that does apply to me is gone, why should I still be here? I mean, we can put the cart before the horse. So the problem isn't having youth group per se. The problem isn't having Goya per se or having basketball per se. But it's using it the wrong way where we say, this is your primary reason for being here. And then we, you know, all, all too often, once we've done that, we come at the teachings of the church from a very skewed lens where we just want to see what is of interest to us. And we forget that it's not about us. It's about him. It's about Christ. It's about the Holy Trinity. It's about taking that out into the world. It is not about me and my particular interests. The way to do it right, the way to disciple right under those circumstances is to say first and foremost, first things first, right? A priori, first things first, we are here because we are disciples of Jesus Christ. He is physically up there on that patent. We are here to live a life in repentance. But it's much easier to sell, as you pointed out, the consumer model. We've got a product here. Come and enjoy the product. And then the people are, are invited to sort of treat it like, Customer service. Well, I'm not happy with the service I received. Let me give a bad Yelp review. Let me put in a complaint. Let me write to Bishop. Well, why? Because you didn't get what you wanted on your plate. Well, it wasn't for you. <laughs> it was for Christ. So the, 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 the consumer mentality is it, it's awful and it's idolatry because it puts us up as the final arbiter. I mean, how do you decide a priest ministry is good or bad? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is the most important thing that those individuals can see from you? Like if you're discipling them and, and they're learning from your discipleship, how themselves to be disciples, what do you think the most important thing that they can see from you is? Because it's like St. Paul says, right? St. Paul actually says something that would sound scandalous if we said it. And he says, as I imitate Christ, so you imitate me. I mean, who has, who among us really has the courage to say that, hey, I'm imitating Christ well enough. You imitate me. I certainly couldn't say that. I don't know anybody who would say that. I think if it was not said by St. Paul in his epistles, 
we would call it like it would be like that's blasphemy or heresy but it's it's in scripture so it's not heresy it's not blasphemy so if they're going to be imitators of you father joseph collins how what do they need to see from you what's the number one thing uh for me it's it's two things uh it, it's the explicit teaching from me and regarding discipleship i have one explicit teaching that i as a priest understand my priesthood to be first and foremost about making you better than me about so my priesthood is a priesthood of discipleship and that's my ex express intent is that if i should fall dead today or be transferred tomorrow that when i leave i left you in a better place and more capable place than i found you so that's the explicit part and then the implicit part is i want them to see that a person who has genuine care and concern compassion and love in my soul for them and their well-being all right so like how do you, how how is it that you go about doing that like say what's what's the biggest item that you let them see in order to get that across the 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 large, there's two been two things in in the priesthood or maybe three but they're very they're, they're um, very much connected that i've seen that has allowed people to connect with me that and those and those three things are listening not not just hearing you but like listening to hear to hear right like real listening telling people that i love them and that christ loves them out loud and smiling uh, a smile will go a long way especially a genuine smile when you're happy to see someone or or when just that that facial recognition of of that they're a human being and that they're important and and i think that's such a powerful thing because you know uh, our listeners don't you know many of them don't know us beyond this podcast but of the two of us you know you're 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 definitely the more lighthearted the more jovial i tend to be a little bit overly serious and we, we balance each other out that way but that go, that goes back to your quote from uh, saint john christum from last week because what does your discipleship look like it looks like leaning into your strengths leaning into the gifts that god has given you he's given you a stalwart heart that is also full of joy and you're using that to your advantage well I mean, that's great. And well, someone else who I've also known very good priests that uh, that might not have been their temperament, but they communicated love to their flock nonetheless through their own given personality inclinations and their own given strengths. So that's looking at that and saying, well, what's the what's the best use of this? And in your case, yeah, man, that might be a joyful spirit. That might be smiles for someone else. It might be sort of that being able to be that stoic rock that everyone knows is there for their support no matter what and it wouldn't their discipleship wouldn't look right if they tried to play your game and yours wouldn't look right if you tried to do it their way but be, but when we play into the strengths that christ has given us and we develop those uh we become better disciple makers and the people under us become good disciple makers as well but it would be a mistake right to ask any of your catechumens to copy that the way you do it. Uh, I had, there was a, there was a great, uh, a great kid that I brought into the church back in Rochester. Well, not kid, young man. 
Uh, and he was, he was just really, really great guy. Uh, very kind, very sincere, incredibly shy. Like now, I mean, this, I, I remember him walking to weekday services through the snow and he didn't have, he was a college student. He didn't have his own car and he would walk from his campus and he would accept the ride back, but he'd never ask anyone for a ride to church. He didn't want to impose on anyone. And he was incredibly polite. You wouldn't ask him to get to be a, a, a you know, a, a teacher or a chanter. It just wasn't in his temperament. But he definitely brought a lot to the parish and he definitely brought a lot to his fellow Christians. He was well loved and, um, you know, he had everyone's respect and he was genuine. But he had he had a very different strength set from me, who I tend to be like, I'm very talkative and I'm very outgoing. Um, and so, you know, his discipleship is going to look different than my discipleship. And that's how it should be. That is good. They should not look like carbon copies of us. Without question. Hey, Father Michael, we're getting to just past the halfway point. Would you mind telling everyone where they can find us in social media? Sure. Of course, as uh, as you all hopefully know, uh, you can find us online at on the battlefield media.com uh, but on social media you can hop on facebook and instagram and search for on the battlefield podcast and especially on our facebook page we also post a lot of other content that is uh, related to the podcast and uh, supplementary to the podcast and uh, this podcast of course is it's on anchor fm it's on apple Podcasts, spotify probably a few other platforms and uh, so we try to be as uh, easily as as easily findable as we can as we can be and uh, we ask you to share and like and to give us your feedback and your questions so we can make this a dialogue i think one thing that we should probably add here is that this that discipleship is dynamic discipleship is happening within the individual and at the community level that that once we find our strength and once we start to lean into our strengths, as you said, we, we see that my strengths are strengths and it might be a weakness in someone else, which calls back to a couple of the first episodes that we had where we talked about our faith and our, and our strengths covering the other person. So my strengths can help someone else who may be weak in that place or doesn't have that gift, but they need it in their lives. So the church and the church community, once, once everyone in the community has some buy-in and we are making disciples and being discipled, we start to cover each other and we start to cover one another's weaknesses. And we start to bear, as Galatians 6.2 says, we bear the burdens of the other. And by so doing, we cast out the chaos in life. You know, the, the Holy Spirit gave us these gifts and he's saving us and we're being discipled to be in the image of Jesus Christ. Why? To our own souls and for the benefit of the souls who surround us to help cast out that daily chaos and to strengthen one another so we can bear up under it, but also see within the suffering and within the chaos, the hope that Christ gives us in the resurrection through his holy cross. Well, absolutely. And not only that, but it, it's by 
by recognizing that we also open up opportunities for others. Um, the, the worst, the worst leaders I've ever worked with in, in every context, whether it was in the military, because there are plenty of bad leaders in the military and, uh, or in civilian business or in the church, uh, the worst leaders I've ever worked for kind of try to do it all themselves. They want to micromanage. They want to be the be all end all. And, and, uh, they're, they're terribly ineffective because, you're not that good. You don't have all the strengths. And when you try to have, when you try to have everything under your power like that, um, you don't, you do the opposite of discipleship. You take from others their opportunity to grow and to shine and develop and to make disciples themselves. Cause they, let's not forget, they have that vocation as well. Uh, I mean, so one of the things that I feel is a very important part of my priesthood in uh in letting people see is uh is my own repentance is my own is my own acknowledging of my faults and my weakness and my own delegating of things so like you can give me like if you said hey father michael surprise uh we need you to give like seminar or talk at this class tonight you've got like half an hour to prepare i can do that like I like that's I I've had to do that I I that's how I know I can do it I can do that um if you're if you're saying you know translate this stuff on the fly and then speak about it in one of your non-primary languages I I've done that uh so it's like I can do those things but guess what I'm a really poor administrator like I don't have good admin I don't have good administrative skills I don't have good organizational skills um you know what I'm good at is finding people who do so it would be a mistake for me in my own ministry, in my own discipleship, if I were to try to do that, do it cumbersomely, um, and then maybe sort of undercut both the quality of what I, the strengths I have, but also it would undercut the opportunity for others to step in. So I delegate a lot of authority to people when I know they're good at something. I say, hey, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and I want you to run with it. And by the way, I trust your judgment. Make judgment calls. Let me know what, what happens. You know, let me, if you've got a question, get a hold of me. But I want you to take X and run with it. And, and then I'm going to look you in the face and say, I trust you to handle this. And I find that when you do that with people, when you have good people, they rise to the occasion. And they rise to the invitation. And they do that. And, and they end up being more successful than even they realize they could be. So, uh, you, you know, by giving that trust and that strength to others, you're putting them in a position to win battles they didn't know they could fight. Priest, uh, you know, as priests, we get called father. So in that fatherly role as the dad, uh, both of my own kids and kind of the father in the community, seeing my children, both physical children and spiritual children, suddenly find out and discover that they're capable of encountering and being victorious in battles they never even considered or that they thought were beyond them. Uh, it's, it's very fulfilling and I, and it's, and it's, it's great. And that's, those are the moments where I look and go, we did something kind of right here. And, and, and that like back in Rochester, like we, that was one of the things, like sometimes I'd, I'd ask people cause we would do guest speakers during Lent and I asked a few people to give talks and like they, they weren't used to doing that. But I'm like, I saw something in them. I'm like, I see this in you. Give it a shot. And they were happy they did. Yeah. And, and as parents, like you said, 
our first before anything else but even before the church i would tell you even as a priest your your primary disciples are found under the roof of your house they're your kids and and it's a partnership between you and your wife no doubt no there's no question of that in my mind and i think a lot of times priests get that cart backward i know i do an awful lot of the time and i feel i feel my own children i feel my own uh, wife as as i as i try to disciple other people and forget to teach them along the way that that sometimes i come home and i'm tired and i'm worn out from trying to disciple other people and what I'm teaching them with my life is really not worth emulating at all. It, it should, it, it's actually just trash and it takes an awful lot of courage to apologize to your people at home and say, Hey man, I, life kicked my butt and I was not setting the right tone and ask forgiveness from them. And, and then by God's grace, repent and endeavor to, to be better and to do the right thing for them. And I, I, yeah. And that's why it's so important. I mean, even little things, you know, like when you, for example, say you lose your cooler over something and you apologize to your kids, what you're teaching them is you're never too powerful to, to own your shortcomings. You're, you're never going to get so grown and so mighty that you won't have shortcomings. And then you're never too powerful or important to have to own them. And so it's like, all right, so if dad can, or mom, I mean, right, if mom or dad or grandma or uncle or auntie or whatever can come with humility and say, hey, I wasn't right about this, I'm owning it. And then we kind of say, then that sends the message, go and do likewise. But if we're, but that's the thing, right? If, if they never see that, if you're never wrong, then when they finally get into that grown man, woman role, they're like, well, you know, men don't apologize. Women don't. I'm sure I'm not. I'm not bowing to you and apologize. Well, why not? You, you know, we can disciple people very incorrectly through what we fail to do, uh, what Western theology calls the sins of omission. It's not just what right. we do; it's what we fail to do. So, um, you know, and it, and I think we're coming up on time here, but it's worth saying that once again, while a lot of these principles, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about business, we're talking about military, we're talking about all these things. A lot of these principles, yes, can be attained through a certain amount of discipline. But as Christians, there's the, there's the added element of God's grace or the primary element of God's grace. If we try to do these things on our own, it will fall flat. If we try to do these things in a self-sufficient manner, um, it's going to go nowhere. But if we're putting our trust in God and we're doing the next right thing and we see him as the primary actor and he, we see him as the primary mover and we are his what scripture calls a synergy, his co his co-laborers, not him being our co-laborer, us being his co-laborer. Then guess what? Uh, then it's really his work and he will bring it to completion. And that's what the scripture says, that the work that that God has begun, he will bring to completion. And I think very often our plans fall flat because we forget that and we want to bring it to completion. And so right. we, we've got to step back and say, God will do exactly what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And he'll do, he'll do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a tremendous, that's the other, that's the other end of discipleship for us to look and go and show people, by the way, we're not the ones running this ship and he is. And when we look at it like that, um, well, guess what? Then, you know, your, your, your ministry program at the church isn't your program. The youth group at the church isn't your youth group. Your marriage isn't your marriage. It's Christ's marriage. It's Christ's ministry program. It's Christ's youth group. And if it really belongs to Christ, then trust him to get done what needs to get done. And if we don't trust that he'll really do that, then no matter what else we say, we don't really believe he's in charge. And that's, that is a great point of repentance for us in our discipleship because we get too anxious about the way each of those things have to turn out. Why? Because we don't really believe that he's the one guiding and ruling and in charge of it. But when we start to put that kind of faith there, first off, there's not going to be a shortage for us to wor- of, of work to do. There's going to be plenty. And second, we'll find that he, he will find that he actually is faithful in the things that he promises to do. And it will be better than it could have been if we were really pulling the strings. Amen. So just to clarify, you're telling me that I, all my anxiety and all the things that I think I can do are just kind of a waste of time. It is an absolute waste of time. That's great to know. So I waste an awful lot of time every day. Thanks a lot. So um, do I. And, and, one, and one point of clarification, I never said that I was wrong. Okay, I, I did think at one time in my life I had been wrong, but I was mistaken. Uh, I, I think that being wrong is an awful hard word to accuse me of. And if that's my pride speaking, may God forgive. <laughs> so you were, you, 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 were, you, were, you were wrong about being right, so you're right about being wrong. Yes, I got you. Okay, thank you very much. Well, um, so I, I think we can't end on a better note than than, than what you said. It was uh, incredibly accurate, and and may God forgive my stupid sense of humor. Uh, but everybody, thank you for joining us uh, today as we as we talked about discipleship, how we have been discipled in our own lives, how we understand discipleship at home, how we hope to be discipling others in our. Uh, respective communities and and lives and we look forward to seeing you uh, on the next episode and we ask that uh, the lord jesus christ our god would continue to guide us by the power of his holy spirit in the wake of discipleship that is created by his holy spirit that he would bring us to places of confident faith in him our true god and that the hope of our souls in that place of expectant and painful hope that we would remain there and endure and see his triumphant victories in our lives and the joy that can come through faithful obedience. May he be glorified to the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you, Father Michael. Be well out there in the Midwest, kicking butt in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll try to hold down the fort up here in these 80 mile an hour winds at the uh, front range of uh, the Rocky Mountains sweeping down on the plains. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. May the Holy Trinity.